Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter two. Kids, uh, grades, what, first through fifth grade, why don't you guys come on up as Miss Ashley makes her way up here. Uh, you can come up and get a, a worship bag from her. She's got some fun and games in there for you. And so come on up. You coming also, Megan? And or you come to this side to Miss Megan and come grab a worship bag if you want one. If you already have one and then you feel really guilty because I made you feel guilty earlier, I would just encourage you to pretend like you don't have one and come up and get a second one. That's, that's what I would do. <laughs> just to cover all the bases. Uh, but come on up, there's uh, activities for you and ways for you to follow along with the message and to stay engaged um, this morning. Again, we love having our um, elementary school kids in here. Um, it's just a sweet gift to hear them and be a part of, have them be a part of our worship here this morning. Luke chapter two is where we're gonna be this morning. Um, we're gonna do two more weeks of our Fear Not, of our Christmas series. Because I think sometimes we hit Christmas, we do Christmas Eve, and then it's like we just, we move on from Jesus being born and we just do something else. Um, but there's more to the story that happens over the next year, 18 to 24 months of his life that if we don't cover chronologically, it gets kind of mixed in with the nativity. And so I wanna cover some of that here uh, this morning. So we'll do this here today in Luke chapter two. Next week, we'll study the wise men in Matthew chapter two. And this moment where, um, I don't know if you knew this, but Mary and Joseph take Jesus back to Egypt for safety and for deliverance, which is ironic because um, following this series, we're gonna begin a year-long study in the book of Exodus, which begins in Egypt. And so just so you know, uh, we've, done a, we've done long studies before. This one's gonna take us all of 2022 to get through the book of Exodus together. And so I wanna just, uh, I, I wanna give you confidence now. We can do it, we can do it. And, and it can be good the whole time. And so I just, I wanna invite us, we'll divide it into two parts um, and study through it in that way. I'm looking forward to it as I've just been preparing the things that the Lord is revealing and teaching me through the scripture. And so I'm, just, I'm excited for it. I hope you are as well. 2022, we're gonna study just the book of Exodus together. A story that um, has been twisted and, and turned a lot. And we miss the truth of what's happening there and that we would find ourselves in the story of, of Exodus. All right, so let's, let's continue now with the birth of Jesus. Jesus has been born, and um, uh, shepherds have come. They've harked the herald angels. All of that has happened. And there's, now there's uh, what happens in the next, we're gonna learn about what happens eight days after his birth, and then 40 days after his birth. We're gonna see all of that happen here. But I wanna root us in Scripture first to give us kind of the lattice on which to see this vine of this, of this account grow on it. So let me start with this. Uh, I don't know what your homes are like on Christmas morning. Uh, some homes are like the wild, wild west, man, where like there's no rules and you do whatever you want. I mean, there's, you wake up whenever you want, you open whatever presents you wanna open. I don't care if it has your name on it. You just rip, rip into them, tear them open, see what you find. Maybe that's, maybe that's the Christmas you grew up with, the Christmas in your home now. Maybe it's a little, a little more ordered than that you do sit there together, but then when dad says go, man, you just tear into all the presents and you open them all up. But on the other extreme are the more... Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know, like legalistic, liturgical side where everything has order and tradition and ritual to it. Maybe your home is like that where there's certain things you have to do before you get to the presence. You have to wake up early or maybe at a certain time you gotta wake up your mom and dad, 
Some, um, some parents who don't love their kids as much make them eat breakfast first. Like, I don't understand that at all. Do you love me? Then let, what are we doing? I'll eat later. Um, maybe you have to have breakfast and not just like Pop-Tarts. I'm talking like breakfast casserole and biscuits and gravy and all the stuff kids love to eat. And so you have, you have to have that. And then, uh, then you have to read Luke 2. You have to. And it has to be in the King James out of that gigantic Bible that sits on your coffee table most of the time. You have to read it out of that. And then there's ritual and tradition that goes into that. So just by show of hands, how many of you, um, your, your home right now or the home you grew up in was more of the wild, wild west? You just do whatever you want. Everybody raise your hand. Animals, you're monsters, all of you. Yeah? All right, how many of you were more on the legalistic kind of liturgical side? Hey, there's order to this. Would you raise your hand? How many of you find, fall somewhere in the middle? Yeah, I don't think your kids feel that way, but maybe you feel that way. No, we're really balanced. We kind of do both of them. Well, that's kind of, this is, that's for us as, as Christmas. For me growing up, I was the oldest of six kids and I had five younger sisters. And my mom loves traditions, loves them. Um, but not like normal traditions, traditions she makes up and calls traditions. That, that's, what, that's what we do. So it's, I mean, it's all the things. It begins Christmas Eve with Christmas Eve service and we get home and um, there's pajamas just magically appear to us um, in our living room or used to and uh, that my mom had made. And so then we, we have to put those on and then you have to take pictures because that's what mama wants. Mama wants pictures of you and your, and your pajama pants in front of the tree. And so you do that and then you go to sleep. And for us growing up, it was me and my five younger sisters. We all slept in the same room every Christmas Eve, which is exactly what you're picturing it to be. That, yeah, that's what it was every time. So we'd fall asleep eventually. We'd fall asleep. We'd wake up early in the morning. Uh, my mom and dad stayed up all night wrapping presents um, or putting things together uh, because they're, they're not as gifted as planners as much. And so they had this to do. And so they would do all that. We'd go into their room and the rule was we had to make them coffee. And then this, this is where it gets weird. And they wanted us to come into their room singing, we wish you a Merry Christmas, all six of us. Like the sound of music. And we're just, we're just, my life's a musical. And we're just singing. Walk. If we don't do that, we don't get to presents. This is, this is, this was growing up in my house. And so we did that. I grew up in Florida. And so there was no such thing as snow or cold weather. So it was just like we had yesterday. And so I, we go in there and we wake them up. We come out um, to do presents. Uh, but my mom and dad are so creative that they can't just put names on the gifts. They can't do that. So it's some kind of code that we have to decipher in order to open the presents which is just a blast. I mean, as an eight-year-old, I couldn't wait to do that. Uh, but before we do that, we have to, we read the Christmas story and then, and then we get the talk. You know the talk? Like, you're gonna be grateful for everything you've, got, you've gotten. You might not have gotten everything on your list. You probably didn't. But what you did get, you got because we love you. This is, I want you to be grateful about this. Yes, sir, yes, sir. We read the Christmas story and then we have to figure out this code for all eight of us. Of what this, it, could be, um, it could be characters from The Wizard of Oz. And for some reason, they decided that my sister was the Tin Man and I am a Dorothy or whatever. We had to figure out, that's a, that's a whole counseling session, but we had to figure that out. <laughs> and then we could finally open presents. And we get three presents because Jesus got three presents. So why would we get more than Jesus got? That's, that was the rule in my house. And so that's what we got. And then we, then we had to go one at a time in order. And we always went youngest to oldest. And the tradition for me every year was convincing them we always went oldest to youngest. And they never fell for it. So we'd finally, I don't know, four and a half, five hours later, we're done opening presents. And then we eat breakfast. Like, those are the things for us. But what happens over time, if we're not careful, is that traditions 
um, ritual, routine, becomes the end rather than the means. What I mean by that is, so at some point, it's, like, it's okay to move on from that when it's not enjoyable anymore, when it's, when it's hindering what is supposed to be happening. We're gonna see here in Luke chapter two, and you're gonna see it come up a lot, um, words like law or custom or tradition. You're gonna see that come up a lot. And for many of us, that heightens this like, mm-mm, uh-uh, you, you, you can't pen in this Mustang, not gonna happen. I'm a stallion, you can't, do, you can't give me ritual and law, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. Well, that's gonna rise up in us and I need to root us in some scripture first so we understand what's happening, what's happening here. So Psalm chapter 16, David writes it. The beginning, it's called a mitkam, or yeah, a mitkam of, of David, which means it's a secret or a covered psalm, meaning he's probably hiding and he's seeking refuge from the Lord. It's beautiful, the whole thing. I, we just have time for two verses here this morning. Psalm chapter 16, verse five. The Lord, David says, is my chosen portion and my cup. You, the Lord, you hold my lot. So this all builds from verses one through five, but here's the big crescendo of the psalm. And what he's saying is, of all, of all the portions in the world, I want you, Lord. He's fearful, he's running from enemies, he's probably hidden in a cave somewhere, and this is what he writes, and he says, but it's you I want. You, above, above all else, you are my chosen portion. If it's an old school Baptist potluck, I want... I want old lady Edna's green bean casserole. That's what I want. That's what he's saying. You are my chosen portion and my cup and my nourishment and my sustenance. But then he makes this statement, you hold my lot, meaning you're sovereign over all of it. You determine it. Then verse six, the lines, or some translations say the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So he's saying, you are what I want and how I get to what I want, now I understand, are inside of these boundary lines. They've fallen in pleasant places. And I don't know what your experience has been in church or following Jesus or what you've heard about it, but maybe your feeling about following Jesus is that it's too restrictive. There's too many boundaries, too many hoops to jump through. There's too many barriers, too many walls. Like, I can't just be myself. I just can't be free. And David is saying, yeah, but what I've learned is those boundary lines bring pleasure to me. They're in pleasant places. I've grown to love them. At one point he says, I love your law, which no one says and means it, but he says it. I, I, I mean it, I love your law. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance awaiting for me. David has reached a point in his life where he understands what God has given as far as law, what he has given as far as ritual and tradition are not meant to punish us, but to bring flourishing to us. It's almost as if David realized, well, the creator of the universe tells me to live my life this way. Maybe I should actually do what he's called me to do, that I would find everything I need inside of this. So this is the heart of David that pushes itself forward, even into the Jews, even to this day, many who are following old ritual and tradition. Rules and laws and traditions, they have their root in something good. Every tradition we follow, every rule we follow, originally probably began with good intent. And over time, though, that, that rule, that tradition, that ritual, again, has become the point rather than the path by which we find flourishing. 
but flourishing is what God has designed for us, not punishment. I've come to believe these two things about God. First of all, that he's great. He's sovereign. He's the king. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's holy. He's set apart. He is altogether separate. And he's good. Not but, but and. And he's good. He loves me. He's for me. I could mesh those things together. This is what David is saying here in Psalm chapter 16. You're my chosen portion. I believe that you're sovereign. And so you can lay boundary lines. And yet I also have come to believe those boundary lines are actually for my good. And I love them. I wanna live inside of them. So with that in mind, let's get here into Luke chapter two. I wanna read verses 21 through 30. We're just gonna read through it so we get the breadth of the story. And then we're gonna go back through and you're gonna notice a few characters as we read through. You're gonna obviously know Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And then we're gonna meet a man named Simeon. We're gonna meet a woman named Anna. So pay attention to the words that Luke uses, how he sets this whole thing up. We're gonna begin in verse 21 of Luke chapter two. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, I know we have kids here, so dads, you can answer that question later. He was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, this is Mary and Joseph, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, consolation meaning comfort or deliverance, but comforting deliverance of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now that word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's it's a title. It means the Messiah or the anointed one. And he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now what I wanna do, and Ray, we're gonna go back to the beginning of that passage, Luke 2. I wanna walk back through it, and I what I hope to illuminate to you are some consistencies of what I think, what I think Luke is describing to us happening here. I'm gonna give us some Jewish history so we understand what's actually happening because we, uh, we Gentile people don't actually understand a lot of what's happening. I'm gonna give us some history there and then I wanna just drive us to where, um, 
just a statement I, I think that God has given to us for today. So let's go back up into verse 21. And Luke says, at the end of eight days. So sweet baby Jesus, eight days old. So I don't know maybe what your experience has been with newborns. Um, but the first eight days is exhausting. Just a, they don't sleep. You, you, don't know, you don't know how to be a parent. You have no idea. And then you're in the hospital and you have people who are trained to do this. And then at the end of like 18 hours, like, hey, I think you're good now. Why don't you go home with this living thing? And then you get home and you're like, well, okay, now, now what? And so you figure that out. The baby's not sleeping. You gotta figure out the schedule and routine of when, when he wants to eat, when he wants to sleep, when he wants to um, make messes for you to clean up and all of that has to happen. And we do this thing with baby Jesus where we're like, yeah, but he wasn't like that, right? I mean, he, he, would, he would never, he, he would never he would never do that in a diaper. He would never uh, cry like that. He, he probably went to bed at 7 p.m. and woke up, I don't know, 10 a.m. the next day. Like I slept through the night. That, that's how I picture him. Curly blonde hair, bright blue eyes. This is what baby Jesus probably was. But we forget, this, he was a baby. Philippians 2, he gave up equality with God and became a man, humbled himself. All of it, took all of it. And so this is eight days later what we read here in Luke chapter two, verse 21. So that's there, but let me give us some context because the next few verses are gonna flow out of what we learn in Leviticus uh, chapter 12, which I'm sure you've read because that's the exciting part. Luke chapter 12, the Lord, I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 12, I'm just gonna read this to you. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. Welcome to church. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So now there's Levitical law, law handed down by God to Moses, through Moses to his people. A woman is unclean seven days after birth. And then on the eighth day, there should be a circumcision of the foreskin of the male child. Just ask your mom and dad. This is, this is what the law says. Now, that's what we get in Leviticus. This is all based on the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis, where God would, would uh, make the covenant known to people through the external act of circumcision of males. This is part of this whole plan God has been working and weaving through human history. And then we ask, well, why the eighth day? Well, something called, what they would call it the Queen Shabbat, which means everything, every sacrifice, even animal sacrifices had to be at least eight days old because they needed to have lived at least through one Sabbath day to experience the holiness of Sabbath. And then they could be sacrificed. Then the child could be brought um, forward for circumcision. This is why. Now, this was not often done by medical professionals. This might've been done by a rabbi, maybe by a family member. Uh, this is this is not a medical procedure. It's more of a religious procedure that happens. Family would have been gathered around to witness all that, which sounds wonderful. And so they would have been around to witness all of that happening. And then you will, why the eighth day? What we've learned in modern science is between the fifth and seventh day, a male child has developed enough vitamin K that his blood would clot for the procedure. Now, they didn't know this back then. God just told them eight days. They're like, okay, eight days sounds good. But this is what's happening based on Leviticus chapter 12. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Verse four, 
Then she, this is the mother, then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. The mother shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed, which would make 40 days for a male child. But if she bears a female child, she shall be unclean two weeks as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. Now, as a father of both a son or two sons and a daughter, I would have wholeheartedly agree with both of these statements. I think you're way more unclean when you have a, a girl. It's harder. It's just a lot harder. And so you need a lot more time to get holy. And then, and then you can... That's, that's not in the Bible. That's something that I said. Verse six, and when the days of her purifying, the mother's purifying are completed, whether for a son, 40 days, or a daughter, 66, 67 days, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he, the priest, shall offer before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. Then Leviticus 12, eight. But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So all of that is underneath what we're reading here. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22, and when the time came for their purification, which would have been 40 days later, according to the law of Moses. So I want you to notice what Luke is doing. Mary and Joseph are following the law. And it began at the eighth day with circumcision. This is the Levitical law from Leviticus chapter 12. On the eighth day, they had this baby, sweet baby, Messiah Jesus, circumcised. And then Luke adds on to that. And not only that, but they waited until Mary would have been purified on her 40th day to enter the temple. They brought him to present Jesus to the Lord. And hear this, they're not at home. They're still in Bethlehem. They're still there. And they've waited eight days for circumcision and put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoes. Who's gonna do it? You're not in your hometown. Sure, there's family, but you're waiting for Mary to get healthy to take her back home. And so you can't, who's gonna do this circumcision? How is this going to happen? He was, he was born in a stable. I would think other purification would have to happen first before that could happen. Where are we gonna go? Who's gonna do this? Who's gonna be around? And yet, Mary and Joseph walk the law. They follow the law to the eighth day and then the 40th day. And then they take him to Jerusalem. So now they've gone um, from Galilee to Bethlehem and now from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to the temple for the time of their purification to present Jesus to the Lord. Because in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Do you see what Luke is doing? As it is written, the law of the Lord, as is the custom. This is what's happening for him. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And here's my argument there. He was already called holy. I don't need to do all this. I had a dream. I had a vision, not a dream. I had an angel come and speak to me if I'm Mary who told me this son would be, this child would be holy. 
And Joseph's like, yeah, I think the angel said the same thing to me. Why are we doing all this? Why, why do I have to travel back to Jerusalem? I figure he's the son of God. He can, he's probably cool. Like it's probably good right now. I think he's holy enough, right? Like I, we're gonna be okay. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I think he's got the holy part down. I don't know that we need to do all of this. And Mary would say, yeah, because the angel told me that I was blessed and highly favored. Why? I don't ha- I've already been declared clean and holy. I don't know that I have to go through these 40 days. And still, Mary and Joseph follow the law. In verse 24, they offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And what Luke doesn't mention is that actually wasn't what was commanded. They were commanded to bring a lamb unless they couldn't afford it, which tells us Mary and Joseph couldn't afford it. So then the argument is, well, then I can't even afford, I can't afford a lamb. I don't, why? I don't have that. Where do I get it? How do I get there? And still, Mary and Joseph make their way to the temple with a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So what you're seeing already is Mary and Joseph, and we've studied this throughout the past four weeks, they're just common people. There's nothing unique or set apart about either one of them. They're just people. Just a man and a girl trying to figure out life. They've done all the right things. Then this happens and things go crazy and Joseph decides to still stay with her. But this, I mean, this is nothing out of the ordinary for them. Nothing at all. Then verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Notice how Luke describes him. A man. Not a priest. Not a scholar. Not a prophet. Just a man. There's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. But this man was righteous and devout and was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So real quick, we have this weird belief that the Holy Spirit didn't come to people until Acts chapter two. You need to know the Holy Spirit existed back in Genesis chapter one. He's always been part of the the Trinity, part of the Godhead, he's always been. Now what's different and unique is that throughout most of the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit would, would descend upon people or would lead them, it would be more externally or just for a season. What's different about the, what we get in the, New, in the New Testament with the Holy Spirit is that we get him forever. This, that's the difference. But this man, Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit, or was led by the Spirit, into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, so notice what's happening here. We got a man named Simeon who's just coming to the temple. I think I've always read this story, understood him to be a priest. I think that's what I understood. I just thought he was the one. Like he was the one that they would meet at the tent of meeting. Like, oh, this child. And then he would do the Simba thing to him. And then Elton John would sing. That's what would happen. He's just a man and scholars would probably t- would tell you they believe he's probably an older man based on what he says about waiting for the consolation, the Messiah to come. So it's just a man, and he just so happens to be at the temple this day in Jerusalem. And they brought him in to do what? To do according to the custom of the law. Well, he was there because the Holy Spirit led him to be there. They were there because they were following the law. It's interesting throughout the scripture how the law and the Holy Spirit work together. They're not opposed, they're working together. And so this is what happens in the temple. Verse 28, he took him, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now I don't, mamas, I don't know how you feel about people touching your 40-day-old 40 40 baby. Um, but some random old man comes in and grabs your child. 
How's that gonna go for you? He just walks in. Oh, okay. Grabs him. And then he makes this statement, these statements in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. But you've got to wonder, why did they marvel? Hadn't they already been told some of this? Like 40 days, 50 days, I don't know, a few months earlier, hadn't, weren't they told this by the angels? This was, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because it's been 40 days and angels haven't showed up again. It's been 40 days with a baby and it's just been like any 40 days with a newborn baby. He's not talking. He's not walking in the bathtub. Like, I, well, I don't know. He's doing all the things that babies do. And, and I think for Mary and Joseph, there were the moments of like, yeah, are we sure though? Like, are we sure? I mean, I know, I know the angels and the shepherds and all that, but I mean, it's, it's been a month and a half now and we haven't seen that yet. They marveled because I think they had gotten to a place of, we're gonna keep doing this because he's ours, but I don't, I feel like maybe we missed something earlier. And they marveled at what was said about him. And then sweet Simeon turns to mother, Mary, and says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, meaning people will be opposed to him. And then he looks at Mary and says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. What a sweet old man. This child is the savior. He's appointed for the rise and fall of many. And it's gonna devastate you. But he says, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Just so happened that Mary and Joseph, following the law, walk into the temple on the very same day that Simeon walks into the temple. This very same Simeon who had been told by the Spirit, you will not die until you see the Messiah. It just so happened that this was the 40th day. And it just so happened that they weren't in their hometown of Bethlehem or of, of Galilee. So they've come to Bethlehem, which means now they have to go to Jerusalem for the temple and not their own local one. It just so happened that God had brought them to this place at this time to meet this man named Simeon. And Simeon gets it. And then verse 36. Oh, Luke says, also there was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. Now we read that, like, I don't know, Phanuel and Asher doesn't means nothing to me. Well, it would have meant nothing to people reading this in the first century also. Those are not big name people. It's not like she was the shortstop of the Yankees, basically. Oh, okay. Okay. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, meaning she got married and then had a husband for seven years and then he passed away because verse 37 says, then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up, and notice what Luke says, at that very hour. What very hour? Well, the very hour when Simeon is going full Simba on baby Jesus, when that happens. Thank you. When that happens, at that moment, Anna kind of walks through the curtain and sees all this happening. Now listen, we can talk coincidences all day long if you want to, but come on. Then, 
and that she had been worshiping night and day, fasting. Simeon had been begging for uh, the Messiah to come for the consolation of Israel. And now this day, at this day, God has Mary and Joseph there with baby Jesus and Simeon and Anna all at once, like a three for one. Yes, yes. Because they're following the custom of the law. Because they're just where they're supposed to be. She was advanced in age. At that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So I wanna take us back to Psalm 16. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The boundary lines were the customs of the law. They were the ritual and tradition. They were the place of the temple. They were the priests. All, all of that was the boundary lines. And because God had placed the boundary lines there and Mary and Joseph said, oh, you are my chosen portion in my cup, they are following the boundary lines. Even though they're not so sure, they're, they have all the excuses they could have. What? I'm tired, I don't wanna go, I had a really bad night last night, it was Christmas yesterday, I just don't think I should be able to and I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to make it and, and next year it's on Christmas Day, how am I ever gonna get to church on Christmas Day? And then all this is happening. And the borderline is, well, let's be legalistic about it and say, well, you gotta be there whenever the doors are open. But that's, that's not about flourishing. That's, that's not about boundary lines falling in pleasant places. That's about law and ritual being the point. The point of the law and the ritual is this, is the presence of Jesus. That's the point. And because Mary and Joseph followed the law and the customs of the Old Testament with all the excuses they could have, circumcision, why? I mean, he's, it's Jesus. And I'm pretty sure if I was Jesus, I would have written that out by the time I was coming to earth. But they still do. They're not at home. They don't know who's gonna do it. And still they follow the custom of the law. 40 days of purification, all the excuses. I'm not at home. He's the Messiah. I think we're gonna be okay. And still they follow the custom of the law. Simeon, an old man who has been begging for this and has told you will see the Messiah. I don't know when he was told that. Maybe it was a week before, but maybe it was 30 years before that. And yet, a righteous and devout man keeps showing up. He keeps showing up. He's, he's too old. He's tired of doing the same thing. And then he hears the Spirit tell him to go to the temple. He was like, I don't, did I think that? Or did, did God say that? Did I think that? And still, he comes to the temple. And Anna, an old woman who's been a widow for a number of decades, could be too bitter that God took her husband after seven years. Could be too tired and old to make this journey again, to keep being faithful day in and day out. And yet, here they are at the temple. I want you to notice something else. There are no priests and religious leaders mentioned in this whole text. Just people. Just a carpenter and his young wife. Just a man just an old widow. They're following the custom of the law and they're following the ritual. They're following what God has laid in place for them. And so as luck would have it, as fate would have it, they're all at the same place at the same time to experience it. I love this. How beautiful is this? That people who are faithful meet other people who are faithful and they both find exactly what they're looking for. Well, what are they looking for, you ask? Well, I think Mary and Joseph are looking for confirmation. Are we sure? They marveled, even though they knew it. It's been, it's, 
been, it's been a month and a half and I haven't seen anything different about this child. Are we sure? Thank you with affirmation for uh, Simeon. This is what he had been looking for. It's consolation for Israel. It's affirmation and confirmation for Anna and they all happen to be there at the same time. The truth is, sometimes you're the one looking for confirmation, affirmation, or consolation. And we've bought into the belief that we're gonna find it somewhere else. We're gonna find it outside of the boundary lines. We're gonna find it in another relationship. We're gonna find it um, through the internet. We're gonna find it through a new car or a job or finances. We're gonna find it um, in a new boyfriend. We're gonna find it in, in, in pursuing a different sexuality. We're gonna find it in all these things that are outside the boundary lines. I'm here to tell you, you're not gonna find it. You won't. You're not gonna find it in heroin. You're not gonna find it in marijuana. You're not gonna find it in your drunkenness. You won't. Where do you find confirmation and affirmation and consolation? You find it in the boundary lines and following the law and customs of God. That's where. Again, not meant to punish us, but to bring us flourishing. And you know it. You've experienced it or you know people who have experienced it. So sometimes you're seeking it. Other times... It's you. Other times, you're the confirmation. You're the affirmation. You're the consolation. And people follow the custom of the law, seeking it. And by God's sovereign plan, he has ordained that you would be there to be the answer to their prayers. So why? Like, why follow the custom of the law? Why, why keep showing up at church? Why keep doing the things we're supposed to be doing? Why keep reading your Bible? Because of this. Because of this. Not because you have to. Because God is working a plan. And he's laid these things in front of us. So simply, I would say it this way. To see what you want to see, you need to be where you're supposed to be. We've made such a complicated mess out of following Jesus. It's, it's pretty black and white, really, if we look at it. He has set in place the Sabbath. He's set in place days of worship. He's uh, set in place prayer and reading scripture. He's, he's given it all to us. But it's not sexy enough for us, so we want to find it somewhere else. Or we've been, we've been trained in a legalistic bent, and so many of us, we rebel against it. Or we get so drawn into it, we don't do it to find Jesus, we do it to find standing. You want confirmation, affirmation, and consolation? Then to quote the great Scandinavian ice princess, just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. What has God asked you to do? Well, he's asked you to come. He's given you the Sabbath day to make it holy. Okay. What has he asked us to do? Well, he's asked for tithes and offerings. What has he asked us to do? Well, he's asked us to love our spouses as Christ loves the church. What's he called us to do? Well, he's told us to raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what he's asked us to do. Like it's, not, it's not rocket science. But me and you, we, we make a mess of it. But there's this moment at a temple in Jerusalem where God gives affirmation, confirmation, and consolation to everyone involved. So sure, we can come to church and we can, we can sing along with incredibly talented musicians and singers. You can listen to a mediocre message and then, and then what? Well, I just, you need to know sometimes the biggest things that happen inside of this gathering don't happen from here, they happen out there. And it happens in the hallways and it happens in a conversation. So if you're looking for confirmation, affirmation, or consolation, I would encourage you to follow the customs of the law. What has God asked us to do? Let's do that. 
And maybe you're not the one seeking it, but maybe you are the one providing it for someone. Well, then let's just do that. Let's go where the Spirit leads us. Let's find the boundary lines that have fallen for us in pleasant places. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish up here this morning? I mean, we come into the morning and, um, I mean, Joel's prayed through the morning and chosen songs based on where he feels like the Lord has led him to choose songs. And sometimes we just, you just don't know. Like, we just try to be obedient. We try to lay out sermon series the best that we know how and we're flexible, open-handed, whatever God has for us in that day. And we don't know how it's going to happen. But I will say to you, what's been one of the more affirming and confirming things of my faith is to see how God uses those things throughout the week and days and months and years. But maybe for you today, you would say that you are here today and you're seeking affirmation, confirmation, or consolation. Would you raise your hand and say, yeah, I need it. I need something. I need a peace. I need answers to questions. I need something to happen. And I feel like I've come week after week after week and I haven't found it yet. Well, I just, I wanna encourage you in this. Don't grow weary of doing good. And you say, well, yeah, but how many times until God answers? I don't know. Ask Anna. I don't know. I don't know but I know you'll find it here. I know when you seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. Maybe there's some of us here today who would say, you've, you kind of just show up, but what you've missed is the sovereign, ordained plan of God that he has called you here for such a time as this. And so maybe you shouldn't just rush to your car after church today, or after service. Maybe you should find someone. Maybe you should have your eyes open to what God has for us today. And maybe today you don't know Jesus. And so you've, you're a, a person of tradition and ritual and so you've been at church a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot. But what's missing from you is a relationship with Jesus. And you used to have it. Maybe you don't now. Well, no, the same, the same God who saves you is the same God who sustains you. You can meet with him today, or if you have never given your life to Jesus, maybe you've never found wholeness and contentment and peace with him, I'd love to invite you to that today. That you first admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. You're not sick, you're not just broken, you're a sinner in need of a savior. And that you would believe that Jesus actually is that savior. He's the one who can rescue and restore and redeem you. You've tried other things, but now it's him. You have tasted and seen that it's, he's how you find peace and wholeness. Well, then you declare it. Declare that he is your savior. You do it with your mouth. You confess him to be Lord and we do it with the way that we live our lives. We live as though he is Lord of our lives. We believe the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. That's how you meet Jesus. Father, I thank you for this morning. What a sweet gift it is. And I love that I can mean it when I say I love coming to church. I love that I'm at a place in my life and a place geographically and with people that I love. But I love doing this together. Father, for people in our room today who just, um, who first of all need to believe your boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places, God, would you convict them of it today? Give them eyes to see and ears to hear. For people desperate for confirmation, affirmation, or consolation, would you provide it today? God, I... I know that you've got a plan and I know that at some point you will. I'm just, I think selfishly and in the flesh, God, I want it today for friends. I want it now. Would you today? Um, today? 
And God, would you convict those of us who have come in with our heads down? We're just doing this thing to get it over to get to the next thing, God. Would you remind us that sometimes we are the answer to the prayers of people? Open our eyes to it. Help us to see what we wanna see by being where you've called us to be. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.